This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Blank podcast, the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known people. Uh, my name is Jim Daly, and joining me, it's the legend that is in a very nice olive sweatshirt. Thank you, uh, Giles Paley Phillips. Hello, hello. I, at the beginning of um, last year, I went a bit crazy for sweatshirts. I mean, sweatshirts I went, are great. Yeah, and I I got them in all different colours. So I got this olive one, which obviously the viewers can't see, but. I can I can assure you it's very comfortable. H and M was my the place to go. I mean, there are other sweatshirt um, <laughs> outlets. <laughs> outlets, yeah. Um, that color really suits you. It looks really. It's really nice. Thank I think you. it would suit me as well. I feel like that's. I'm a sort of an. It's sort of an aut- autumn color, isn't it? It's very autumnal. I think you, when you've gone retro palace top today, <laughs> I've gone literally the opposite of, of what you're wearing. <laughs> palace 1969 promotion kit. Uh, Back in the day when it was burgundy and sky claret blue. And blue. Claret, claret and blue. It was yeah. a great kit. Claret and mm. sort of light blue pinstripes. Palace should bring that back. I just think it's such a cool look. Yeah. Um, Too many other anyway, have stolen it, though. That's the thing. Did we, I did, uh, on my other podcast, FYP, we talked about, did one about kits, and we said that, that mm. Palace are now so known for red and blue that there's too many other... Yeah clubs that have got claret anyway let's stop talking about things that listeners literally can't see uh it doesn't make for great radio um but anyway how are you how's things yeah not too bad yeah it's been um it's been a, a tricky time this this second lock the well, third lockdown i should say yeah um yeah. so yeah it's been challenging for sure but um yeah we're getting through you have to take things day at a time don't you I, th- I think that's the way to do it yeah literally a day at a time yeah we're exactly exactly the same here but um I feel like uh, I think I've seen so many more people now online and in WhatsApp groups saying like this is the lockdown that's like <laughs> really the hardest I think mm. almost since the turn of the year because there's something about sort of ending one year and starting one year that's like fresh hope like yeah let's yeah mm. let's really sort of like make this our year but we went straight into lockdown well, I think it was almost like we've got to write this year off and it was like January and I just think mm. mentally that's just like really tough for so many people well I think January is a tough month for a lot of people anyway it's a long yeah. month and um yeah i think just because of the 
it's cold and dark and you know you've yeah. got that post christmas blues so i think yeah. january is always a difficult one and then obviously when you're straight into you know not being able to see anyone it's yeah, yeah it's difficult but we'll, we'll get difficult. through it we will get through it there's there's light is the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter every day absolutely yeah and obviously you know doing these pods is helping me to be honest get through it you mm. know it's it's uh it's, it's we're lucky to spend our time doing this and, and we're lucky with with today's guests actually so talking of sort of being resilient mm. and continuing through we've got a, an incredibly inspirational guest this week um it's one of my favorite people ever is mr troy townsend now if you're not a football fan you might not be aware of troy and who he is but in the footballing world he is a very important figure he works for kick it out the organization that fights racism in football he's pretty much the face of kick it out there's a lot of interviews and even in this episode talks about how how draining that is for mm-hmm. him um but he is uh yeah he's, he works so hard for them and 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 his his backstory as well is is really one that filled with with tragedy um but also with so much resilience and i mean the uh, he talks about losing his son curtis who was 19 at the time and a very promising footballer and um you know, just absolutely horrible things to go through. But he's he's still here, and he's and he's making a change in the world of football. And he's um he's an incredibly inspirational person. And but this is a very raw episode, isn't mm-hmm. it? I mean, I think we were going to put a trigger warning actually at the start of this episode, weren't we? Because it is it's very raw uh, and very powerful. Yeah, we touch on you know very some very dark subjects, including you know suicidal thoughts and um, also obviously loss and bereavement and um and yeah and, and and racism as well which is obviously something we talk about um which is a, a huge part of you know what um um troy is doing in, in his work you know he's you know he's trying to combat um a, a huge problem in in the world of football um and society as a whole but obviously his work is within the football football family so yeah it was here i mean you know you've met troy a few times and you've spoken to him he comes on you um on the five-year plan podcast quite a bit and um he's always fantastic to live, listen to he's so very erudite and um is always insightful um but it's obviously for my first time i've i've got to talk to troy and um was really blown away by uh his his story and um and the way he told it and you know, I'm really grateful to Troy for being so open and honest with us, uh, with some very, very painful things, very, very painful moments in his life. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's another episode that's going to help a lot of people listening. I think that may have gone through something similar. And I think he's one of these guys that when he talks, you listen because he's always got something important to say. Um, but as you say, shared some very, very painful moments with us on this podcast and we really really appreciate that and I, and we appreciate the work he does as well with kick it out yeah incredibly important and i think at times it almost feels a little bit like he is out there on his own yeah. fighting fighting that fight when you see the, the sort of things he has to put up with uh, but he's an absolute legend he's incredibly inspirational let's let's delve That's straight into yeah. the episode uh this is uh troy townsend on the blank podcast <laughs> Uh, anyway, mate, 
Troy, it's yes. lovely, to have, lovely to have you on the pod. I'm absolutely really excited forward to, it. to chat to you. Yeah, yeah thanks uh, for coming on. Well, I mean, we were just talking off air. We were sort of saying, oh, I was saying to Jim, oh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Troy played youth football for for Ball Palace um, and Millwall. So you, South London was the don't boo, don't boo me, please. Don't <laughs> boo, don't boo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, South London was was my my early. Um, you know, I'm an East London boy. I was born in East London and and um, schooled in East London and played in East London. And you know, all my my footballing life has been spent in and around East London, full stop. But for a period of two years, um, joined. So uh, it's better if I go back a bit. Yeah. The Sunday League side I had was playing for was a side well I played for a, a Sunday league side Anaconda I don't know why they were called Anaconda I haven't got a clue always stuck in my name and, and honestly it's my introduction. It? It's great, no? yeah. <laughs> it was my introduction into play I, I couldn't play football on a Sunday morning because my mum said I had to go to church um, and there was a church at the bottom of our road and so there's no getting away from it you have to walk past the church so Every Sunday morning, church, 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 church. And then my schoolmate said to me, um, Troy, we're at this club. I think the manager will really like you. So, you know, I'm only young. And I remember meeting the manager. His name's Mac. I mean, he's my first ever football manager. So I can never forget. He was a great bloke. Um, and, you know, he just said, oh, I want you to. And it's the first time, I've got to be honest here. I don't, I hope you don't mind. It's the first time I felt wanted. I felt loved. Mm. Um, my home life I've got to be honest wasn't really great my father left home early my mum did everything for us you know and but she um particularly on her working day she was working till seven o'clock at night so we didn't really have much of a family interaction to be honest I've got one older brother um from what I can remember of our childhood yeah we were we were brothers you know he's five years older than me um big brother did he look after me? Yeah, I don't think he did, but he's a big brother. Um, but yeah, so even from a young age, I used to spend my time being out of the house. I wasn't supposed to be, by the way, but mum didn't get in until seven o'clock. So hmm. I went to the youth club and played football and got in at quarter to seven, took my school clothes off, made sure it looked like I'd been studying my books forever in a day. And I tell you now, <laughs> I was not. I was not. Um but then Mac came into my life and Mac um, Mac just showed me that I don't even know if I emotionally was prepared for that, but he he, he wanted me. He wanted me as a footballer. And it's the first time that I'd ever really felt that. I'd been in my school, in my primary school as a school captain. We won the title and it seemed, you know, I think, you know, you think the school captain won the title, but it meant so much. It was everything. And then, Matt comes along and says, I want you. I want you to be a part of my team. And I was over the moon. Smashed within two minutes of my mum saying, you are not going football over church. <sighs> so how am I going to overcome this problem, by the way? Because I'm going football. I just, just listen, football church, <laughs> yeah. there's no comparison. Um, and it just ended up one day that actually on a Sunday morning, I went against her wishes and I didn't go, I didn't go church. Um, and I went football. Um, I'm not sure if I can tell you the reaction uh, on on air here, but I stuck to my guns. It was the first time that I realised, you know what, I want to do this. I stuck to my guns, and I just went football. And I've never enjoyed myself so much. You know, I've never competitive sport on a Sunday. 
the thing that I love. Um, you know, I wanted to be a professional footballer. I, I was not, not that I wasn't good at anything else. I didn't apply myself to anything else. And that includes my education. Uh, football, football, football. So uh, we've been at Anaconda. Um, listen, I was playing with schoolmates. We were just taking what we were doing at school into a Sunday league environment. We, we looked, by all accounts, we were very good at it. Um, and then there was this Sunday league club, Beaumont. It was the biggest Sunday league club around. Um, I'll go through some names in a minute, but they kind of said, we want it. So it's that feeling of being wanted again. Yeah, we want yeah, him. Yeah. There's yeah. Troy. We want him. Um, and I was like, Mac, um, I, I don't know. What do you think? Mac said, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know what? And I was okay with that. It, 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 I was okay with it. So, they gave me the opportunity. I think that the thing that they did was present to me that, you know, if you look at the players in our journey and those players that I'd be joining were Teddy Sheringham, Jimmy Carter, uh, Martin Hayes, wow. Perry Suckling, Michael wow. Jilks. Wow. Um, Quite a cohort, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. yeah, did my head get twisted? Of course it did. So I remember playing in a tournament for Anaconda um, and we're playing on the tournament and the manager of Beaumont I can hear him he's encouraging I can hear him he's on the touch he's encouraging me he's doing it. you know he's got go on Troy oh you're such a great player Troy and there's a geez, it's, it's quite, I, think I could play for him do you know that <laughs> but Mac Mac took me to obviously my mum wasn't interested so Mac took me to my very first um, outing for Millwall Um Remember the game like it was yesterday, by the way. Beat Aston Villa 4-2, scored one, took one from the halfway line. I've gone all the way from the halfway line, hit this shot. It's in. It's in. Everyone knows it's in. Nah, the bar said, nah, nah, nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bar, bounces back. What position are you play, were you playing at this point? So I'm playing up front. Right. I'm playing as a centre forward, yeah. Um, but I've got rave reviews. Um, and... Not only were Millwall obviously um, caught in me, so they gave me the game. I go and see Mac on the Monday, and all of a sudden, this list of London clubs that are interested in me, and I, I, I'm feeling the dream. You know, I'm I'm, I'm feeling it. Yeah, send that, take that list home to Mum, who tears the list up and throws it in the bin, oh, and yeah. asks me about my homework and what have I done in school. And I knew then that you know I couldn't really present anything to to Mum. It was just going to be me and my journey. And wherever it would take me. So Matt was like the father figure. Um, but I joined Beaumont. I went to Beaumont and I went to, you know, because I, I I wanted to achieve the dream and Beaumont seemed to be the club that could provide, provide me with that opportunity. But losing Mac was, was losing Mac in terms of a manager made things difficult because how am I getting to South London? How am I getting to South London to go and play and, and train and, and in those periods of time, um, you didn't have to you didn't have to train every single time. Do you know what I mean? But you had to be there at certain times to be included in games, etc., and stuff like that. And you know, I struggled. I, I can't deny. I just there's times when I'm standing with Kit, just not knowing if I'm going to get there or not. And I had no money, so our family had no money whatsoever, and I mean no money. Um, and remember, my mum's not interested. I can't even ask her if if um, I could get some money to go train. 
I wasn't confident enough to bunk trains or buses as as many young players used to do at that time. I wasn't that confident. So it kind of fiddled out. It kind of fiddled out. I'm still playing for Beaumont and enjoying everything there. And I remember a Palace legend, Vince Hilaire, was the one that we looked up to because he came from Beaumont, you know, and he would come down to training a couple of times and and you're kind of just inspired to then want to believe that you can do it. So I could also play as a winger, so left wing, centre forward. So Vince Allaire is right up my street. And honestly, when he came down, he was just Vince. There was no, there's no big thing about him. So actually it made you think, well, actually I could be Vince because Mm. he's the same as us, you know? And Mm. so my dreams were still there, but, Listen, it didn't happen for me. It kind of fizzled out. I say to people I got released. Well, actually, it kind of just fizzled out because I had no way of getting into the environment consistently, you know. And at that time, I I wouldn't ask people for lifts. So you've got to remember, a lot of the boys were coming from East London. Mm. But I wasn't even confident enough to go, do you mind if I can have a lift and and stuff like that? And it seems pretty weird, but I wasn't on the football pitch. I was a confident kid. Off the football pitch. I mean, I don't think I was confident in terms of just the general things, you know, just I can't get somewhere. Can, do you mind if I jump in? We're all going to the same space. We're all coming back to the same place. Uh, many regrets about that, by the way. Many regrets about not just having that little bit of something about me to say, like, I needed a lift to go to football. Did no one else suggest it? Gaffer or anything, anyone like that? Not not really. I mean, sometimes I would go with, the guy's name's Morris, and, and sometimes I would go with him. but. I was, it was almost like if I didn't ask, the offer wasn't there because they actually just felt that I would get there anyway. And listen, I, I've never been confident enough to speak about my home life. Um, I was never confident enough to, I didn't want people to know. I just, you know, I, I also always felt that I can do this anyway. I don't need anybody to help me, you know, and, and, and that obviously was to my detriment. But I went to Crystal Palace as well. And I've got to be honest, I can't remember who, I can't remember how I got that gig. But I went to Palace and I worked under, I don't know if you remember, uh, John Cartwright, who was also the England under 21 coach. And he was coaching in the, 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 he was coaching at Palace. And God, did I learn so much in six months? Ah, oh, in the end, I just thought, well, why could I not have met you like, you know, five, six years ago? But John wasn't the decision maker and, and, you know, things fizzled out. And, as they fizzled out, I, I can say this now. I don't think I could say this at the time, but I saw the end of my journey and I'm only 15. I saw the end. I didn't have the guidance and support to take me on to even believe that, you know, there's never 90 football clubs out there. So just because of two rejections doesn't mean that you're done with the game, you know, and, and I, I'll say this, I suffered massively because of no football at that level in my life you know I, I I when you're when you're when you're seen as someone who has talent and ability particularly in a sporting environment back in your like in your school and, and I played for the district I was captain of school teams I played cricket uh, but you know football was my thing and everyone knows you know they whispered don't they oh, that's Troy and they talk yeah. about you you know yeah. when that was gone boy I didn't want to see anyone I didn't want to talk to anyone I didn't want them then to have that judgment and potential laughter at me. And, and I'm creating all these things in my head, by the way. Yeah. And, and I, I suffered massively. And I've only started to talk about it more recently where I think I struggled with my mental well-being. 
Um, I wasn't in a very good home environment. I, I used to stay away from that home environment quite a lot. I started to see a girl whose family took me in and 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 kind of loved me and showed me that family love that I'd never kind of had before. Um, and I just crept away, you know, and I crept away almost silently and, and stopped seeing my friends and stopped kind of even discussing football as a thing, you know, which was anyone that I'd, I'd walked on out at Wembley. I'd been as our district. We before the this will show you how old I am before the West Ham Arsenal FA Cup final. We're out at Wembley on the pitch doing some skills that all the boroughs in London were doing this and we're Queens watching and everything. Oh, my God. Right. So I'm on TV on the Friday night, my first ever appearance on TV, which obviously we couldn't record because there's no there was no <laughs> such thing as a VHS back then. But I'm on the news on a Friday night and at Wembley on the Saturday. Wow. Now, if you tell a young lad that, he thinks that what well, a young Troy thought that this is it. Yeah. This is all part of the gig. And so when it was no more, I crumbled, absolutely crumbled. Listen, I, I started wanting to feel that love again, but in a different way. And I started, I had friends that were not so good. Um, and I just wanted to be part of a crew, you know, which almost took away the the fact that I wasn't part of this football environment now. Now with a crew, who absolutely are up to no good. You know, they're earning money in ways that you're not supposed to. Um, they're doing things that probably regret when you're older um and I was part of that crew I, I just wanted to be part of it I was no longer the leader I was no longer the captain I was now the follower you know and certain things happened in the environment um I was a DJ so I'm starting to DJ now as well so you know I'm playing music and whatever else but certain things happened in the environment that just you look at it now and you can you would condemn it now do you know what I mean I won't go into them because I think they're too raw but you know, I'm complicit to it all. Although I wasn't the person like doing, I'm complicit to it all. You know, there's drugs around the place. I never took drugs and didn't smoke and that, but it was around me and it was, it was acceptable at the time, you know? Um, and then I remember one day that I was DJing and a friend of mine is having an argument with his girlfriend outside. I didn't know because I'm, I'm playing the music inside. And this place I was DJing in, in Wanstead, absolutely packed i still had a little bit of a even though i was a little bit older still having a little bit of a rogue life i couldn't lose that kind of you know that that bit that i'd become attached to so much and we're having a great night the place is packed it's a great night and then all of a sudden i see him running up the stairs he's running upstairs i've seen blood pouring from his eye i was like what's done and literally someone has slit slit his eye and it's hanging down. Oh. Uh, uh, do you know, it was near the end of the night, but the only person I could see in that, and I will tell you now, there's about 300 people in this place. The only person I could see was him. And reaction, and I'm sure, and I can't guarantee this, I'm sure the music went off straight away. Mm. And I'm sure people were scattering about because it was horrific, by the way. Mm. And listen, I remember it was almost like that the, the manager kind of said something to me, Troy, oh, we need to stop, we need to shut up, we need to this, we need to that. And I said, okay. He said to me that someone just came up to him and slit his eye, not sure why. 
I mean, it's a predominantly white area. He's black. His girlfriend was white. I don't know if it's that's the reason why. But we've gone outside and packed all the stuff up. So we're packing the stuff up. It's a disappointing night. I've got to, let's go. Let's get out of here. Um, disappointing. So he's got to get to the hospital and he's gone. He's, he's, we've got him onto an ambulance up to the hospital. And as we're packing the stuff away in the car park, which is quite dark, there's bricks being thrown at us. My friends are saying, God, clue. There's about 10 of us. Anyway, there's bricks again. So we're young. Where's that come from? Honestly, I remember running around the corner. Someone once did High Street. I remember running around the corner of this big pub, the George, by the way, if anyone knows it. Now, running around the corner, round the corner again, because we're chasing this kid now. We, we, we can just see him in our sights. I ran into a mob. No. I ran into a mob An who ambush. were waiting there. Yeah. Who were waiting there, waiting. And me and my mate, <laughs> Kenneth, We've run into them. There's only one thing you can do. If you run, they trip you up, they smash you anyway. So we waded into the first person we could see. And to be honest, I think I got hit straight away. I'm on the deck. They're just about to to obviously absolutely lay into me. And I've got picked up. And I've got picked up by a police officer. <laughs> um, and literally trying to throw me into the van. And I was like, what are you doing? You know, you're under arrest. <laughs> what are you mad? What are you doing? And I'm having this argument and someone came up to me. I got away. Someone came up to me and said, don't worry, it's all in hand. And what all in hand meant, I hope you don't mind me saying this, was that a phone call had been made to some pretty not nice people uh, from who knew the connect of the person who's now in hospital. And all of a sudden, a firearm finds its way down to the facility. Where we are in the pub. Um, and, you know, long story short, the police came. Everyone's gone now. A couple of my mates are not ang- not happy. They're, they're angry. They're driving around the streets looking for anyone that looked like they may have been there that night. I get a phone call uh, the following morning to say, something got left at the bar. You need to go and pick it up. And when these people ring you, you do what they say. What is it? Well, it's been left in the car park. It was left under a car. You need to go and pick it up. I go to Wanstead. Um, but there's a bag just in the car park. I pick it up. It's a gun. Oh, my God. I have to place the gun in my jacket, get on a bus, a bus, and take it to its owner. I was shitting myself. Can I say shitting myself? Yeah, you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was shitting myself. And I mean shitting. I'm sitting at the back of the bus. I'm shaking. I'm shivering. I'm honestly, if anyone had said boo to me, it would have been it. I would have gone. I delivered the, the weapon to its rightful owners and couldn't get out of that place quick enough. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, you can't live this life. I know it's nothing to do with me, but you can't live this life because one, it's not who I am anyway. And it was fake. Do you know what I mean? For me, it was fake, but I cannot live this life. And I just started to detach myself away from it as much as I could. Um, Yeah. People were asking for me. Yeah. People were always trying. But I I, honestly, I just detached myself. Um, And it was the best thing I've ever done in my life because, um, I'm not sure I'd be here now, to be totally honest. 
I'm not sure I'd be here now. So, yeah, that's a weird, weird story of upbringing connecting football to, you know, kind of life that I I'm, I don't mind repeating, but I'm still a little bit now. I'm like, you know, that was who I was now, you know. Well, so, I, mean, I think, yeah. sorry, sorry, Jim, I was going to say, going through that stuff when you're a teenager, which is a, this is a terrible time of life anyway, it's shit being a teenager. You yeah. Know, you've got all these yeah. hormones flying around and you, <laughs> you know, you're, 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 you're not sure what path you're on. And then you, you know, you, you, this thing you're massively passionate about kind of gets taken away. I know you said it sort of ebbed away, but it, you know, it gets taken away from, you didn't have the necessary encouragement. And then you're, you're in a grieving process, aren't you? I mean, that is what it is. It's a grieving process, the loss of that thing that you really want to do. And it's, you know, it's understandable that you, you know, you might go a bit off the rails. You might get into different things that are not necessarily what, you know, yeah. the, what, are, what are you as a person? But, you know, it's understandable that you would in those circumstances because, you know, you're, you know, you're going through a really shit. difficult time. Yeah, I just felt, yeah. I felt shit. I just felt like my dreams had been shattered and I didn't know how to handle it. You know, I couldn't go indoors and, and, and say, mum, you know, they've released, I just, I just had, I, you know, I don't want no pity, but I, it's a story that's been replicated many times, I'm sure, by young people who believe that they're going to achieve that massive dream. Remember, football maybe wasn't as big as what it is now, but it was a massive thing still for me. You know, I neglected my education. I didn't feel that I need, why do I need to be educated to keep the ball in the back of the net, you know? Why do I need to be, a, I can do all that at a different time. I'm just going to be a professional footballer, you know? And, I wouldn't say I have regrets. I, when I say that I could have done things slightly differently, could I have dedicated myself more? Could I have been a little bit more open? Could I have told people that, you know, I needed support? Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I could have done, but I didn't. And and that's kind of, that's my pathway. That's that's how things happened, you know? It is hard when you're young to realise those, though. You know, as Charles says, being a teenager is shit anyway. To be able to realise you need that support or you need to ask questions. It's it's difficult enough. I'm 36. It's difficult enough in your 30s, let alone yeah. when you're a teenager. And especially when you're going through something, and it sounds, you know, a lot of young people's footballing careers end because they get a really bad injury or mm. they're just not good enough. Your son did, you know, if I can say it, quite unfair. You know, you probably, you were good and these things didn't happen. That wasn't I don't know how to Circumstances judge worked against you, I suppose. Yeah, circumstances yeah. worked against me. I was good. I, I, you know, and I'm not being, people don't think I'm being big. I was good. No, I no, know no. I was good. I was being, when you're constantly spoken about as, you know, being good, you know, and all the positive words that come out of that, you know, you take it on board. You, you know, you swell in confidence. You, you, you know, your chest is out. Your swagger is all, you know, it's, and so imagine then being told thanks, no thanks, and then thanks, no thanks. It, 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 I'm going to be honest, it absolutely, it buried me. It absolutely buried me. And it's the first time, you know, when you don't have a good game, you can have a not, not a good game. And it doesn't matter, does it? Because you've got another game. Yeah. And then you put it right. But I just, I don't know. I don't know. It, it, the only regret, there's one regret I had. And, and I remember playing for Beaumont. And this was in between the, the Millwall Palace stuff. And Palace Scouts came along. I'm, you know who scouts are. They stick out like a sore thumb. I don't know why they try and hide, because they can't. <laughs> and I know they're there. And I know they're there. And a matter of fact, I'm sure they were wearing a coat with a badge on it anyway. I know they're there. I've had a stinker 
for 70 minutes. An absolute stinker. I watched them trudge off. Thought to myself, you're done. Popped up, smashed two in. One of them was Weldy. They're not there. They haven't seen no. it. I've switched myself on. They haven't seen it. So was the impact of them being there putting me off? Was them leaving, relaxing me? Spoke to the gaffer. I said, gaffer, I can't believe it. He said, don't worry. Don't worry. You know, I'll talk to them and all this and all that. But first impressions are, are all that there ever are. You know, I did manage to get enough, like I said, to training. But like I said, they I think they've kind of known that maybe he's not going to be what we want, you know. So it is what it is. To be fair, when you're a striker, that happens anyway. Like even the best strikers in the world are terrible for 70 minutes and then pop up and score goals. Exactly. That, that and, then, and then about a 10, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Paper gives them a 10, yeah, exactly. But it's funny, you said you said earlier something that comes up on this podcast quite a lot is that idea of being wanted. And I, I don't mm. think that ever really disappears from anyone. I think we all... Validation, we, we're always looking We all want validation. We want to be desired and we want to be wanted for the various things we do or we're good at. And I just don't think that ever... There but, it goes. Do you know? I didn't know that at the time. I'm talking about now. I'm an adult. Do you know what I mean? I'm an adult. I've transitioned into an adult. I didn't know that at the time, but I can talk about it now. Mm. And well, you know, now I've been talking about for quite a while, but and say that that it's that it's everything that I wanted. It's everything that I wanted for my home life. I've got to be honest. Um, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know what a good family was at the time. I had nothing to compare it to. You know, I have nothing to compare it to, but absolutely, I, I, I years later, I could feel the love from Mac, you know, and I can feel the words of people talking about you in, in the manner that they did. And I felt, and like I said, with my very first girlfriend, um, I felt the love of her family. And so I then had something to, to go, well, hold on, why is my family not like that? Yeah. You know. Did that then, that your... Uh, experience of not having that support as a family when you then started your own family was that something you thought I want to make sure that I create a loving uh, experience and environment I don't think I don't think originally no I, listen I tell a lie I shouldn't I shouldn't I, I, I was a young father um so I was a father at 18 um still very immature still very not sure what the label of a father meant yeah never had a father figure in my life so actually um no one taught me to be a father no I had no even my girlfriend you know her her dad had left and so it was still just the mother controlling the house you know and I, I had nothing to press against yes you have that love of a child um I'm not even sure if I did it very well, if you want me to be totally honest, from the, from the outset. I knew, listen, you know you love them. Um, there's a cracking little boy. I'll probably tell you a little bit more about that later on. But I, I don't know. I had nothing I had nothing to go, well, that's how a fa- what a father looks like. That's what I don't want to be. Um, and I was, I, I've got to be honest, I just think I was, I was too young. Mm. Too young. Maybe not responsible enough as well, because that's still the period that I'm going through tough times myself. Um, maybe, I don't know, years down the line, you kind of go, well, I would have done things differently, you know? And I think that's the easiest thing to say about that. Maybe I would have showered 
Curtis, my, my firstborn, with everything that he ever needed and, and, and you know, the love. I'm not saying that there wasn't love, but what I'm saying is, did I show enough love? Did I know how to parent a young child at that stage, you know? And, yeah, listen, I, I was a youngster trying to live a young life, you know, and um, whilst trying to battle with few demons. That's not a good mix. Jim, it's us again, and uh, we've got some big news. We have indeed. Uh, Giles, I can't believe I'm saying this. We've written a book, a book about blank moments based on this very podcast. Yeah, we've been recording this podcast for a while now, and as we've been doing, we've realised that everyone has these difficult blank moments. All our wonderful guests that we have on the podcast and our listeners get in touch with us all the time to tell us about their own situations, their own experiences of blank moments. And sometimes that can be from a personal life, from their career, the relationships they're in, or maybe it's a public situation. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's one of those terms that can be applied to anything. Social anxiety, imposter syndrome, just sort of generally being off form, having an identity crisis. I mean... It's all part of the human condition, and yet we all get thrown off from time to time and sort of made to feel a bit helpless. Yeah, so the book is made up of all these different chapters that sort of concentrate on these various themes that come up in the pod. So whether it's uh, public failure, social anxiety, fear, mental health, grief, all the things that our amazing guests have talked about on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, and those guests include Louis Theroux, David Harbour, Reg D. Hunter, Dawn French, Rachel Paris, Amanda Abington, John Ronson, Rufus Sewell, Gary Lineker, all these people that really opened up to us about these difficult moments. And what we've done is we've dived into them, um, explained how we relate to them, talked a little bit about our own experiences and almost gone on a journey of this discovering blank moments and how they've helped us. And we hopefully we take the reader on a journey with us. Yeah, there's loads of stuff in there for everybody, I think. It's a bit memoir, it's a bit self-help, and there's lots of interactive bits in there as well, so you can do your own gratitude list, and there's tips on uh, if you're having sleeping problems. So all different things that you can take out of the book. And where can people get hold of this book, Jim? Well, so it comes out in March in 2021, but it's available to pre-order right now from Amazon, waterstones.com, and hive.co.uk. Yeah, it's, I'm really looking forward to everyone getting their hands on it. And uh, hopefully lots of people will be able to identify their own blank moments. And you never know what you might find out. Yeah, I mean, that is very young to be trying to do all that stuff. And I think anyone struggles with anything in their life at that age. And I think it's always the measure of someone that they can look back and say... Maybe maybe I've done things differently or learnt from it. But I think at that time, like I think it's, I think that just sounds incredibly difficult with everything that you told us that was happening before as well with life and then mm. trying to be a dad as well. I just think, I mean, God, trying to be a dad is hard at any age. You know, I've <laughs> exactly. just yeah. become one yeah. myself, and it is so difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it, it clearly sounds like you had a, a lot, a lot going on, and mm. um, I think that would have been difficult for anyone at that age. Very much so, very much so. Um, but we can't revisit time, can we? So you try and make amends later on down in life, and I, I would hope that I have done. But you know, who judges that again? Well, when you when you had that kind of moment, you know, you told us about you know taking the uh, incident you had 
from the nightclub and stuff. And you, you kind of, that was almost a bit of a wake up call for you. What, what, what were your plans then? Did you have something in mind that you thought, do you know what? I need to get out of this. You know, you said you needed to get out of doing what you were doing at the time and you needed to change yeah. your lifestyle a little bit. What did you have any idea what you might try and do to get out of that? Football had always been a theme. So, mm. uh, you know, I, I've spoken negatively about football because of, in the end, it became nothing. But I, I'd always coached as well. Mm. Um, I wasn't working. Remember, I left school with no qualifications. I was not going back to do any qualifications. I wasn't that kind of guy. Um, but I took my, well, one of the best things I ever did was take my coaching badge very early. Um, it gave me an appreciation that actually I could talk to people and they listen. I knew the game. I knew uh, aspects of the game. I, I studied football, you know. So I, I, I was doing, um, I was doing coaching sessions part time whilst DJing as well. I wasn't earning a lot of money. Um, I'm DJing. I'm doing part time stuff. I'm doing full time during holiday periods. And I think it was just, you know, the, the the only thing. I'll be honest with you. The only thing that was on my mind was to get away from the people. I had no structure. I had no divine idea about what I wanted to to achieve. I've got to be honest. I just knew I needed to get away from them and I couldn't have them in my life, which was very difficult because there was also a football club connected to those people. Um, and I was playing for the football club. <laughs> so it was a very <laughs> difficult thing ideal. to do. No, not ideal at all. But I just knew I had to get away. Um, and like I said, there, there was no... In answer to your question, I, I had no vision of where I was going to go. I was just continuing doing some part-time work, enjoying it, doing some DJing, enjoying it, and then connecting with these people. The, the biggest thing that happened the following week was still playing at the bar, but the 350 or whatever it was capacity was down to about 50. That's wow. the impact of yeah. what happened. It was down to about 50 people. I'm going to say on the whole during the night, you know, and even then the, the the manager said, I think it's not going to work anymore, Troy. So I've given him some of the best nights he's ever had because before I went in there, a friend of mine was working behind the bar. I'm going there on a Friday night. There's 10 people. This place has got two floors. Within weeks, it's packed. So I can see the the, the owner behind the bar with this big smile on his face. Do you know what I mean? No words are needed. Following week, it's down to 50, which is still more than what he's ever had. But then telling me he's not going to work anymore because obviously of, of what has happened and he yeah. didn't want that in his bar, you know. So in a sense, that helped in terms of that process of getting away from people um, and not, you know, having them influence me in my life. It, it wasn't easy. I had to, to to not answer phones at times and I had to keep the door closed at times. Um, there was a second incident. Maybe I won't tell you that one. But, it, um, yeah, it was just no no clue about where I wanted to be I just knew I needed to get away and that was it so, so was the coaching a, a sort of a solace then in that moment this this thing that you're good at again comes back to that wanted desire thing your love of the game did it become a sort of help in those moments then I, I don't even know I, I don't even know because it to be honest with you I've always loved it so it's a I would say it's a passion it's a passion yeah it's a passion and I wanted to give back to young people who are very similar to me, who had talent, ability, you know, everything that they needed, but didn't have the support and the guidance to go and achieve that dream as well. So I just wanted to give back to the young people in my community. And, you know, I connected with someone else who, who 
you know, I knew as a player, I said, sure, I'll run some holiday camps up in Bounds Green. And I went and did all of those. And I loved them, you know. The, it was a bit of me. I was still a bit of a child at heart. But it was a bit of me turning to, to coach young kids. And then all of a sudden, I'm not only football, it's tennis, it's cricket. And then we're doing multi-sport camps. And then it's strange because, you know, I'm, I'm older now. Family's growing a little bit. I've, I've, I've got a new partner and, you know, we're developing a family. And um, a former a school friend, uh, who we all went to the same school. So I bucked up with her, with my missus's school friend at a uh, five-a-side tournament for the girls. So my daughter's now playing as well. And she just said, you know, you and my partner should, we should, um, you should do something together. He's in sports, yours in sports. And it's Steve Brown. And I can't stand this Steve Brown. And I've got no other reason for not standing him because he's a good footballer. And he used to play against my teams and he used to batter us. So I can't stand him. We've got the local rivalry in the community. Still there. <laughs> Trojan, Trojan versus Leighton, it was. He'd come on the pitch, he'd take the mick out of our defenders and he'd walk off and go home. And I couldn't stand him. I said, son, all right. She went, no, 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 go on, you two should get into business together. I remember going <laughs> to visit him about a week later and I've gone to the office and he's almost interviewing me. So we're trying to make a partnership and he's interviewing me. And I'm looking across the desk and I'm going, I can't stand you, do you know that? I, I, honestly, I, I can't stand As a matter of fact, I'm looking at him with a bit of jealousy, but I would never have told him that because he's everything in terms of a player that I, I, I was, thought I was. He's an ex-professional, you know, done well in non-league. Can't stand him. The next 15 years, we were inseparable. Then we we developed the business, ultimate sports it was. We were going into schools, we were providing pre-provision. You can see the smile now coming on my face, can't you? We were inseparable. Football, all of a sudden now I'm a non-league coach. He's a non-league coach. I'm at Chesney, he's at Slough. Uh, We then joined forces together. An incident happened, something happened in my life that was the most tragic thing that ever happened in my life. And he was the only person that was there in terms of my guidance and my support. And all of a sudden, the journey that we went on was just, you know, you mentioned Steve, you say Troy, you say Troy, you you know, Steve, we were obviously, we were inseparable. And, you know, still to this, Steve passed three years ago uh, through cancer, unfortunately. Um, but still to this very day, I'd always tell the story when I said, I can't stand you, you know, I can't stand you. But, he was the closest thing. And remember, I've got a brother. He was the closest thing I ever had to a brother. Um, he's the thing that inspired me every day. So when I was down, when I was having tough moments, I'd pick up the phone to him and he'd make everything okay just by being stupid, um, just by being the person that he was, you know. And I miss him immensely every day because those down moments have increased over the last three years. But like, I have such great memories that I know he's here, he's around, and he's someone who still looking after me and guiding me, you know. But yeah, from that initial meeting of, you know, I can't work for you. I won't work for you. For, <laughs> you know what I mean? Fifteen years, honestly, of just the best times, honestly, and and I'm talking work here, mm. but not only work, just the fact that our families then like were were so connected and you know loved each other and. Like 
football. So we were not away from each other at all. I remember we took the job. He took the job at Dover, Dover Athletic. So I'm in East London. He's not far in East London. Rings me up at midnight, midnight. Says we're back in business. We've been out of a job. We've been at uh, Boreham Wood. Um, we were out of a job. And said we're back in business at midnight. I said, you what? He said, we're back in business. He said, got the Dover job. I went, speak to you in the morning. Put the phone down. Rang me in the morning and said, you didn't seem too excited. I said, it was midnight. Of course I'm not excited. (laughs) (laughs) But there we go, trudging along to Dover. Most of the time getting stuck in traffic and being late. But we we were at Dover and it's a massive football club, you know. And Mm. it's... I could just, I'd just say it's just some of the, 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 listen, it didn't work out on the second day we were there. We found out they, they 47,000 pounds in debt to the tax man. man And, you know, if you're trying to do a job, someone says to you, oh, by the way, what we didn't mention in the interview, (laughs) yeah, the the tax man, you then realize that you're up against it, you know. But I, I, honestly, I can fill up this whole pod with great memories and great times that we had. We developed our own academy, ST Academy. Uh, to help young people again and this was a period of time when I said I'm not going back into to, to, to helping and coaching young people because my son is starting to do things on a football pitch that I need to be at you know um, and it was just it was just it was just honestly so from the the times that I told you about where I questioned myself and worried about my life and these period of times were the times that you know I just I can I can I can almost remember every single day and every single day was something slightly different, but slightly the same. Still fun, still energetic. You know, we're running a business together. We're signing off checks together. We're doing things together that I would never have imagined that we'd be. You know, we're doing football together. We're we're just we're just together twenty four hours. Well, you got to sleep during that period of time, but a lot <laughs> of time during the day. You know, and it's just amazing. Honestly, it was just amazing, and and I will never regret that first initial meeting over the over the desk I never regret it never regret it at all it's the best thing that's ever happened to me in terms of you know my working life and develop the next 15 20 years of who i was you know we need these people in our lives these it sounds like you guys are incredibly similar and that's probably one of the reasons <laughs> why <Yeah>. one <laughs> first you hated him and two actually you loved him because you actually were basically very yeah. very similar people yeah we need these people in our lives to get us through you know the good moments and the bad moments these are our these are our best friends and they're the people that will be there for us no matter what. Like if we're doing amazing, they'll be there. If we're doing awful, yeah, they'll be there and they're know, there for the highs and the lows. It was more. It was more than just a. I don't think best friend does him justice. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that you're right. I mean, you're right in what you're saying, but I want to go beyond. I don't know how do you describe someone that's beyond the best friend. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Well, because I suppose it's family, isn't it? You, they they become yeah. family. Uh, and he was, and and and. You know, even both our partners said, you two are too alike. And actually, you're supposed to clash being too alike. Mm. But we weren't. We dovetailed. We were, you know, I might as well say this. Look, at my worst, my second worst period in my life was losing Steve. No doubt about it. The first worst period of my life was losing my son. So the first son that I spoke to you about earlier um Curtis you know he died in a car crash um on the way to football by the way so you know he he got released by AFC Wimbledon um you know and, and came to me and just said 
as this and I've got released. I said, look, come and play with me for a little while. I'm at Chesant, you know, start the season afresh, build your confidence, a back up and, and, you know, go and go back into the bid world, you know, when you're ready, you know. And so he did that. He was working for me as well. Um, and four months later, he was dead. You know, four months later, one wintry December afternoon, you know, traveling to a game, car crash. Um, and he was the only one that passed in the car, you know. So I still, still, listen, it's 19 years, it's 20 years this year, sorry, at the end of December. Yeah, I still I can remember it like it was yesterday. It's the worst thing that's ever had to, and I've ever had to deal with and, and still experience. But Steve was immense. It was immense during that period of time. I wouldn't have known anything. I wouldn't, you know, it's crazy because the day is like yesterday. Mm. So remembering the day, remembering the build up, remembering, when I say build up, obviously I didn't know it was build up. It's just a normal day. Yeah. But everything that happened on the day, I remember it like it was yesterday. Most things that have happened after it, I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue and, and whatever that is in terms of that mental space I couldn't even describe um but Steve was immense he took care of so much he you know what he nurtured me through the period of time that's the best way to put it he nurtured me through listen I uh, I wanted to take my own life I wanted to almost swap positions I didn't you know, Kurt's got a, 18 years of age. He's got everything in front of him. And I didn't think it was fair. I didn't think it was right, you know. So, yeah. you know, suicidal thoughts went through me, particularly on two occasions. One where I'm at a train station and I'm saying goodbye to everyone. And the other one where I was just sitting, sorry, laying down in a room. And I can see the cord, you know, the old light switches and whatever else. And I can see a light, sorry, dangling down. I can see a cord and I'm wondering whether it's the right thing to do. And I, like I said, without him geeing me up and without him taking care of a lot of things that happened on the on the day of the funeral as well and, and in, in the interim period, I'm going to say to you again, it's another period of my life where I don't know how I got through. I don't know how. I survived to even come out the other side to tell the story or tell the tale. And I've never really been good at telling the story because I'm a very private guy when it comes to that. So I don't really tell the story. But increasingly over the last couple of years, it's almost like I need a release. I, I, I went to see a counsellor. I didn't see a counsellor at the time. Wasn't very open and honest and, and wanted to talk to someone I saw as a stranger. What what can you do for me? I don't want a counsellor. I don't know what grieving looks like, but I'm in the process of something and I don't want to share it. Well, when Steve passed, and listen, every, I'll tell you now, every December 15th and beyond into Christmas, no one sees me. No one sees me. There's no communication. There's no social media was obviously growing. There's no social media activity. No one sees me until about mid-Jan. I just I don't want to see the world. I don't I'm don't I'm I'm that grieving process just existing. Then I start to creep out a little bit and start to, you know, let people know that I'm okay and, and that uh you know I am communicating a little bit, but it's tough, you know, it's absolutely tough. 
Steve passes three years ago on New Year's Day. Um, and someone said to me, you need to go and see a counsellor because you haven't even got over what you're trying to achieve with Kurt, you know? Mm. And I went to see a counsellor. And it was the worst and best thing that I've ever done. I've got to be honest. I, I, the guy was a lovely guy. It's nothing about him. He's a lovely guy, but he brought stuff out of me that I didn't want out, you know? And I met him for the first time and there's this airy silence. And I'm thinking in my head, am I supposed to be talking or is he supposed to be talking? And so we do the initial introductions. Nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And then we sit down. I sit in the seat, a typical seat that I thought, yeah, this is, I'm under pressure here in this seat. And he doesn't say anything. And it forces you to talk. Yeah, yeah. And I'm they like, do that. They do that. Yeah, it forces you to talk. And I just went, blah. And I, I said, and he went, I thought you come here to talk about, I said, no, I've got history. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I walked out of there that day and no one saw me for two days. I didn't even go into work. No one saw me for two days. I, I brought out so much emotion that no one saw me for two days. I had to go back, went back. It was a little bit better the second time around. No one saw me for a day. I had four visits and then I just stopped going. I couldn't deal with the roller coaster ride of the emotion that he was irking out of me. I just couldn't deal with it. I just couldn't deal with it. So for my own peace of mind, I tried it. It worked, but it didn't work. But one of my actions after that, my personal actions, was to be more open about my experiences. Yeah. I'm not a good writer. I'm not a good writer at all. And all of a sudden, I'm writing things down on paper and I'm posting them on social media platforms. And I'm getting acknowledgement and people are talking to me and they're expressing how they felt and how I've mirrored what that... And I've got to give him a pat on the back because I think he's helped me do that, you know, helped me see a space and I've never acknowledged that. And it's weird because Christmas this year, I got a text from him and we haven't been in touch for, like I said, from the day that I didn't go back and I haven't responded to it yet. I will it just came at the wrong time. You know, it's Christmas again. It came at the wrong time, but I'm going to thank him. I've got a lot to be grateful for. Although it was only four sessions. I've got a lot to be grateful for, but I'm not even sure I got to Steve because I've, I've, so, I've got so much baggage, honestly, so much baggage that it's going to take a team of people to kind of dissect what goes on in my head, you know, but every single, like now I'm talking about Kurt and, and some great memories and I wasn't on this earth long enough to really instill those, you know, but you know, it's painful, you know, it's 19 years, 20 years, but it's painful. and then add Steve to that and it's, you know it's just yeah I don't know I'm probably waffling a little bit now but it's just it's just a painful experience that I've never ever got over and I've never got you know why I said it's a painful experience I've never got over there I'm still talking we we used to live in a block of flats and a good friend of mine well friend is you know we developed as friends just and it's these words and they're very chilling and they're very chilling for a certain reason. He said to me, whilst Kurt's alive, you will never die. Okay? Meaning, you know, absolutely looks exactly like me and, and whatever else. And 
what he meant to say was obviously, you know, you always out, your kids will always outlive you, you know, and his thing of, and it wrangles with me every single time. Whilst Kurt's alive, you will never die. Not said with any malice, not so, it's just that, you know, continuing the family tree. And the fact that Kurt passed, you know, before, you know, I'm still here telling the tale. I just remember that quote all the time. Jasper, his name, very good, such a funny guy. And he and he said it in such a comical way as well. But I've got it even at the time, you know, that my legacy will continue to exist in my son. But yet now my son has gone, you know, gone 20 years on. Thank you for sharing that, Troy. Um, no. I got really emotional Sorry. during that because yeah. I could... Sorry, like, I could, I could more no, I could hear your pain through it and um, I'm getting emotional again. Um, I could really, really feel your pain. And I, I want to thank you for sharing it because there'll be people listening to this podcast and you never know what people have gone through. You don't know what people's experiences yeah. are and there will be people that have probably sadly gone through the same thing that you've gone through so i think it will be very powerful for them to hear that that's the sorry to cut across you jt but that's the purpose you know i've now realized that within me through a negative experience through an experience that has broken my heart more times than i can mention i can help someone and if i can help you know what i do in life i feel that i'm helping people anyway so just generally whether it's through sport, whether it's through my actions around, you know, what I do for my work, but there's a bigger picture of this all. There's, there's, you know, there's a, there's a picture that even I didn't know. And I wasn't comfortable talking about it before because of what it brought back up in me. And listen, I'm holding back my tears. They're there. You probably can see them a bit, but I don't, I'm not frightened of that anymore. Whereas before I was frightened of it. Before, as an emotional experience, I would never have wanted anyone to see me in that way. Those signs of weakness, those, you know, because football instills that in you. You're not mm. supposed to be weak. You're supposed to be powerful. You're a man. You're macho. You know, don't cry. People will. And I don't know, for some reason, just a few years ago, and whether it is triggered with the, the, the you know, the counsellor, I just I don't care. I don't care about the judgment. I don't care if people think I'm weak. Let me just put this on the table. I lost my child. So if you're going to judge me because I'm showing emotion on the back of that, then that says more about you than, than me, you know. But I'm comfortable in my own skin to be able to tell the story, which I wasn't, you know, four years ago, five, I wasn't able to. And show my emotion around that as well. And I I have had people who have said, unbelievable, thank you. Does it make me it doesn't make me feel better? And I don't want people to take that wrong, by the way. It doesn't make me feel better. But there will be a time when I'll actually go, I'm so grateful that I've helped you as well. You know, and 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 I would never go to a meeting. So let's just say, you know, with a group of people talking about our negative experiences and lost ones and stuff like that. I can never do that. But I can do it now on this, these platforms. I can do it now in the way that I write honestly about those experiences and losing the two most closest people, you know, family. So I've lost two members of my family, you know, 
at a period of time when everyone is losing family now, you know, unfortunately yeah. because of this pandemic, I feel the pain every single time. But sometimes I'm lost for words. Sometimes I grow strength from my words. And sometimes I still just have that quiet moment to myself and reflect, you know. And I think any parent who's attached in a way that you would hope parents are attached to their loved ones, their sons, their daughters, you know, feels, feels the love of them around them and, and you know, cherishes them to to the very end, you know. But, but also, and, and this is probably a discussion, a wider discussion about the sort of toxic masculinity of society, of football, um, which definitely exists. Um, showing that emotion is not weakness. Showing that emotion is, is strength. That is strength. Yeah, but all I would say to you, because of my working environment, let's say, because of I've football has been my so I work in football you know I'm not sure if I said that to everybody on the outset but you kind of understand that you're not supposed to mm. it's what is drilled in you yeah it's that stereotypical image of what people think a man should be yeah and yes there's so much talk now about mental health and mental well-being but if you're constantly battered about being strong, being physical, being, you know, you know, showing the strength of, if you kind of mention things in your environment, you're judged and you're judged negatively. And it still exists, by the way. Yeah. Uh, what I'm saying is I just don't care. I don't care if you judge me. I don't care if, you know, you're sniggering about me behind corridors. I've, I've, I'm going to tell you this now. I've been emotional in work. I've got emotional in work. Half the time is because I know Kurt is driving me on. Steve is driving me on. Don't worry about what. Yeah. Go on. I've, I've got emotional in front of people that I actually don't feel I should be getting emotional in front of. But absolutely emotional. Um, and I don't care. And I don't want that to be flippant, that don't care. Do you know what I mean? I don't want everyone yeah. to do, oh, listen to him. It's not flippant. It's a strength. Like you said, it's my strength. It's my power. It's my acknowledgement now that, you know what, nothing, nothing can be worse than what I've experienced. So the way that people want to talk about me or describe me or think of me, I just don't care. I can't be hurt more than what I have been hurt. The kind of hurt that I wouldn't want anyone to experience, by the way. Um, so. I'll end it with I just don't care. Yeah, I've always I've I've always really admired. I mean, we haven't even talked about your work. You're obviously uh, a director at Kick It Out, um, the anti-racism organisation. And I've even before you and I sort of got in contact, and I can't remember. How, must have been through Palace was it, a couple of years ago. Yeah. I can't really even remember. Um, I've always thought you were incredibly inspirational because you're so resilient. <laughs> And you do, you just keep going and keep going. And and, and I see the tweets you get from people. I, I see yeah. the way people talk about you. Yeah, we all see it. Yeah. But you are incredibly inspirational and resilient. Um, and I've always thought that about you. And now learning your story. You know, I feel like I'm learning more about you. And uh, it, to be honest, it almost make, it makes you somehow even more inspirational to me. Um. So, yeah, I'm not sure where I was going with that point. Sorry, I just wanted to say it. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I would probably just answer that by saying, 
the energy that I have for the work that I do. I, I don't know where I get it from, to be totally honest. I, I'm struggling a little bit. I, I just think that I'm in an industry that, that doesn't appreciate the voices of people like me. I, I'm in an industry that would wish that I probably wasn't around. You know, stop challenging, stop bringing up the bleeding obvious because we're not going to do nothing about it. It drains me. It it leads me to question myself as to do I need to have I done enough now here in this space? Do I need to go and try and have an easier life to end off my career? You know, my working life, and then I get energy again because something happens, and you know, I need to. If I go quiet, and this now's not the time for anybody to go quiet. By the way, now's not the time for anybody to who works in this space to 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 start talking about other things. You know, we've never effectively challenged racism in our industry. Um, and yeah, people are having a go at me because I'm a black man talking about it. I'll make no apologies for that. And they can continue to have a go at me. Here I go again. I just don't care. Um, because if there was racial equality in football, there'd be no need for me and no need for the organisation. It's as simple as that. You know, if there was a level playing field so that we all felt valued and we all felt that this, the, the jobs that we're in, you know, we had equal opportunity to step up the ladder, go sideways or whatever it may be. And that's not just around black people. That's just around people who are underrepresented in this game. Then there wouldn't be need. Oh, I, I could shut up and people could get rid of me and then it would be fine because I would have achieved what I want to achieve. But I think what I will do is, is I have reflected quite a lot over the last couple of months, I just, I, you know, I'm worn, I'm tired. Um, like I said, I've just coming out of a real struggling period. And I don't know, I don't know whether my voice is worth it anymore, to be honest. So there's another challenge and another battle. I mean, it's, it's really hard to hear you say that. Um because you know like Jim says I think you're incredible human and, and an incredibly inspiring human I've learned much more about um, what you do and kick it out as an organization through through you you know through to through seeing your tweets through hearing you on you know Guardian Football Weekly or and on FYP and um, you know I, I you'd be such a great loss if you weren't doing it you know but I can understand at the same time in the current climate and also with the way society is at the moment, how challenging it is to keep banging that drum. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, and I just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you do it really. Um, maybe you can answer that question better than me, but, and obviously you're finding it difficult at the moment. I've done, where do we find the energy from to do what we do anyway, you know? And, I've probably found when when the acknowledgement of Black Lives Matter came around last year, I, I suddenly felt that I had support. And some people said, well, what do you mean? How do you direct that? Because I feel, and I'm being honest here, and I, you know, I feel like I've been a lone voice for a very, very long time in this space. I feel like when people people who, who lack knowledge, who lack understanding, want to criticise, 
I'll tell you what, we'll criticize. I remember that black guy on Sky Sport. We'll criticize him and whoever his organization is because we can't stand them. All they keep doing is bringing up the black experience. And I've always felt, although I've got good friends and good people, I don't want to make this all about, you know, there's good friends and good people, but I do feel alone. You know, I, I feel, <sighs> I feel drained. I feel tired because I'm talking about the same thing. I, 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 I'm, I'm, you know, if I, honestly, I'm going to do that. I'm, I'll go back three, four years and I'll play you an interview and I'll play you an interview from two weeks ago and you'll say, but Troy, you said the same, isn't it? So what, is no one listening to you? You know, I've been challenged by clubs who don't like me talking about them. Um, I've been challenged by individuals. I've been challenged by organisations, you know, the, the authoritative organisations who do not like you to challenge them. And I say to myself, you know, they're trying to kill the voice of someone who actually is talking for many. Yeah. And what happened last year with Black Lives Matter in sport, let me say that in sport, because I haven't got time to do the political stuff. I haven't got the energy to do the political stuff. Is that finally the players' voices came to light and that people around me are all of a sudden sharing their experiences and sharing the fact that they felt that they've been either, you know, held back, discriminated against, or have had an experience that they need to now tell. All of a sudden now, I'm feeling that when I walk, and I, I, tend, I always say that when I walk and talk, I talk with my son and I talk with Steve, cheering me on, you know, get in there. But now there's a wave of people who are actually talking about there. So they might not need me to talk so much anymore because there's new people now who are sharing. So if they think I'm boring, there's new people now that are sharing their experiences. And it was the back end of last year when I really felt I'm done. I've got to be honest, and I, I don't think I've shared this with many people before, apart from those that are close to me. I, I, I did the Anton Ferdinand documentary that was filmed in the summer. And I spoke then about, you know, lack of support for Anton. Me and Anton had a clash. We had an honest conversation, do you know what I mean? It was nip and tuck and it was, mm, it was, you know, really, really strong and powerful, you know, and they got all that on film, you know, and they filmed it all and they said to me, that's the best thing that, that you know, and because I'm honest, I don't lie. I, there's not, I've got nothing to protect. And I spoke about how the industry found him, us included. And I spoke about how um, there's not enough being done. And I watched the documentary. So I watched it previously and then I watched it on the night after everyone else had watched it. I didn't want to see the reaction and whatever. I watched it afterwards. And in watching it, I was in it for two minutes and 20 something seconds of a 57 minute documentary. And I felt, you know, I could, my Twitter's going off and I know people are talking, but I'm watching the documentary. Documentary finishes and I knew the FA were going to put something in response to my comments okay so i knew they were going to put they had the opportunity to go on the documentary by the way they turned it down then i was told so as i'm now going through my it's now two o'clock in the morning i don't even know what time it is i'm now going through my messages you know all the messages that are coming in and that the fa have made a statement 15 minutes after the documentary and the statement didn't address the 54 minutes and how many seconds of Anton's story with John Terry and how you know difficult it was and the struggles and the pain and the mental well-being and the constant abuse. 
it absolutely addressed Troy Townsend, two minutes. That's not correct. That's not right. Basically telling me I'm a liar. That's what they basically said. You're lying. Full stop. In a statement. Wow. I, so, I'm now, I can't admit, I didn't sleep well. I don't sleep well anyway, but I didn't sleep well. I'm now raging. Mm. Next day I'm waking up and I'm angry. I'm raging. I've got to be honest. We put a statement out. I'm not going to say no more. I'm not going to say that. I didn't feel supported. I didn't feel backed. I didn't feel that um, the FA really took in the 57 minutes of the mm. documentary. It was kind of what football does, you know. I felt low. I felt attacked. And it's at that, remember, that documentary went out and it's leading into my most difficult period of my life coming up again. And I just said, what's the point? What's, what's the point? And I've got to be honest, last, last December, it was a tough, tough December. And I looked in the mirror on a number of occasions and I didn't like what I saw. As simple as that. I didn't like what I saw. And I'm being honest here. And it's funny because this world, this world works in mysterious ways. Kurt passes on the 15th. Sorry, I'm connecting the two here. My first granddaughter was born on December the 19th. My my daughter's on the 31st of December anyway. So now picture all of this through December. My daughter's on the 31st of December anyway. My third grandchild is born on December, at the beginning of December. So all of a sudden now, surrounded around the experience of what I'm going through with Kurt, I, I honestly believe this is done on purpose. Yeah. It's my loved ones to help me manage what I go through during that period. I don't care what anyone else says. That's what it's designed to do, is to help me manage going through that period that I don't have to kind of shut myself away, you know, and I can now enjoy, whilst I still, you know, on the Kurt's day, I, I, I don't really want to, I can now, they've now brought joy to me unrivaled joy the only thing I wish is that obviously Kurt was around to see it but they're, they're, they've done it in a way so when I say I looked in the mirror at myself and didn't like what I see that's all born from that working environment and I, and I don't want to not like myself I don't want to hate myself you know I want to be able to look at myself and think look what you've done look what you've achieved look how you've helped so many people but that what they what they said about me I don't think they'll ever know. I told them. I told them. You've attacked me. You attacked me. I told them. I don't know if they care or not, but I don't want people to talk about that because that's not me. I, 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 you know, if no one doesn't know me who I am, then I'd just say, just, just be quiet. Just, just keep it quiet because until you do or listen to something like this, you'll never know the true me. And remember what I said. I can't be hurt by those people. I said that, but actually maybe I was because they made me look in the mirror and look, don't like you. And I hadn't done that for many, many years, you know, or, or particularly around that time. So that's why I think to myself, maybe my time is coming to an end. Maybe I'm not as strong as what I thought I was to deal with all of this crap that what consistently comes my way. And maybe it's time to, to kind of leave it to others to do 
or pick up the rein and do maybe what I couldn't achieve. So but that I mean that statement is personal. That's not a general reaction. That's a personal attack. And so I can one hundred percent understand why you feel that you don't want to put up with this rubbish anymore. But you said a minute ago, you know, I, I'm wondering if my voice is still important anymore. Your voice is incredibly important because you don't know who's listened, who's heard it, who who you've changed, who you've affected. You, you never, and it's the same with this podcast, same with everything. You never know who's yeah. listening, who you have got through to, and and even if you do decide that you want other people to come forward and maybe you take a step back, they're still being led by your voice. It's yeah. still you from doing that, and that will never change, and that will always be important. And I think it's important to remind yourself at times like that because. You know, you've been through a lot. My God, yeah. you've been through so much. And you're still here. And you're resilient. And you are inspiring people. Um, and again, I've got to a point where I don't know where I'm going with it, but I just wanted to <laughs> I want to tell you those things because they are that's that's true. That is a truth. I, I received the call from you're absolutely spot on. So there is a point to what you're saying. I received the call from the West Indies today. Um, sorry, two days ago from the West Indies, you know, I've never been home. It's my motherland, you know, I've never been home. Just wanting you to know that we hear you out here. Wow. We see you. And it's from a sports figure in the West Indies. And it blew me away. Yeah, I didn't want to share it with anybody because I don't think they deserve to, to, do you know what I mean? But it blew me away. And we, we had a WhatsApp call. And honestly, it gave me energy. It honestly gave me energy, you know, and day later i've been helping this parent whose son has been victimized because of football there's no doubt about it you know i've got this bottle of champagne delivered to my door i said to her, don't i'm not i don't i don't want anything i'm doing i'm giving you advice because it's the person that i am so i have to realize that there are people that are appreciative for what you what i do and 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 i'm being acknowledged in places like you said that you never think that you could reach yeah. Um, and if there's one person on the back of some of the words that I say today that, you know, actually, I don't know, I've never heard about Troy Townsend before, but yeah. And that's what we're here for. And that's what I'm here for, you know. And I only wish that during probably my darkest days, I kind of had those voices as well. You know, yeah, I had voices, but maybe some voices that I didn't know to actually think that, you know, I could, you know, when I'm standing next to a train line. I cannot tell you what voices I had in my head because they weren't great. And uh, uh, you know, I'm talking to uh, who's now my ex-partner to say that I can't believe I don't. There's no need for me to be here anymore, you know. And things happen for a reason, and things happen. And you know, she's very smart. She kept me talking, 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 and I. I just, I never want to be back there again. I never want to have those negative voices in my head that influence me to do things that I shouldn't be doing or, or crazy to do. Um, and so hearing good voices, hearing voices that tell me that, you know, I think we all crave that. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be selfish here. It came just at the right time. You know, so sorry for down in the tone for quite a bit of the pod but um i'm gonna blame you guys for bringing it out in me to be honest <laughs> well, this no. is what this is what it's about it's about having these candid conversations yeah. and 
we just really, you know, we you're an incredible voice, I think. And it's just really great to hear you being so candid about it. And um, like Jim said, they're gonna they will be people listening that will completely resonate with and will get an awful lot out of it. I know that. I mean, I have as well today. Um having you know I, I can't imagine what it's like losing a child I just can't imagine um, you know uh, I've had loss in my life but not to that scale and I think um, you know I, like Jim said I can feel your pain I can feel it and I think a lot of people will listen to this and will, it will have a massive impact on them I think so I, I really appreciate you you being so honest with us okay thank you yeah, Troy, thank you so much. We re- I really, really appreciate it. And I love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I think you're I think you're amazing. Probably needed to hear that as well, to be honest. But thank you, Troy. Yeah. For Pleasure, everything, but especially for, for that. Yeah. There you go. That was um, Troy Townsend um, on Blank Podcast. We, we've had a few episodes like this recently, Jim, where we have had guests who have really, really opened up to us and um, they've been incredibly poignant episodes. And I think we've all, we, you know, we've all laid bare some, 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 some deeper things within us. And um, this was just another one of those. And, you know, a big thanks to Troy for being so honest and open with us and um yeah it was a real privilege to spend an hour in his, in his presence it really yeah it really was i always enjoy talking to troy on the palace podcast fyp that i do and he always comes on and always incredibly insightful and we didn't even mention that his son andros uh, plays for palace so that's, that's sort of how i got to sort of know him through the palace world and always offers great insight and great chat on our pod but this is the first time that i've really spoken to him about his story as you say and his past and I said to you off air afterwards, like there's never ever a bad moment when people do this. Like there's never ever, it's never ever pointless when someone comes and opens up like this. It's always important. It's always helpful. Like we said at the end of the pod with Troy, you never know who's listening. And if anyone is listening and and has been through something similar, you know, I hope that there's been sort of takeaway from the the pod today. Um, I know when we did the Sophia Miles episode, and she was incredibly open as well. We've had a torrent of tweets from people mm. saying how much they've related to it and how much it's meant to the many people that have been through a similar situation saying how much they got from it. So we know that these things can help and, and I'm sure this episode will as well. So but it takes our guests to be open and, and honest and you know, we don't we don't expect them to, we don't ask them to, we just bring them on and, and see what happens and, and, and Troy was ready to do that and we, we just appreciate it so much and, and I appreciate him so much for everything he does so thank you very much to Troy we really really appreciate it yeah. and um, we hope our listeners well I know our listeners will mm. as well and if you would like to get in contact with us and you've enjoyed this episode and you want to tweet us our Twitter handle is at BlankPod uh, and it's also the very same on Facebook and Instagram at BlankPod and you can email us our email is the blankpodcast 2018 at gmail.com it is indeed. Um, I think that's it, Giles. Yeah. I think it's time to wrap up another podcast. Yeah. Um, 
massive thanks to Troy yeah. for coming on and just being the fantastic human that I knew he was. And I'm glad that you've got to meet him now and, yeah. and realize that as well. And we're back next week with another episode on the Blank Podcast. So until then, have a great week. Stay safe. And we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.